0: First, I soften you up. <gasps> and then it's showtime. Let's bring it in. It's showtime, right? Showtime. <laughs>
1: Hello everyone. You're listening as always to the Showtime Movie Podcast. This is episode 23. I'm show. Always appreciate chatting with you guys about movies. Always a lot of fun. The movies we have on the go today are two more of the summer's blockbusters, Deadpool 2. And Solo, A Star Wars Story. Really two movies I've been looking forward to for some time, honestly. Especially Solo, because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, as I've mentioned. You know, I've been to all the celebrations. The next one was actually announced to be taking place in Chicago in April of 2019. So I will definitely be going to that one. I think they actually had a podcast alley sort of thing in the last one. So we'll see if I can get in there, maybe record an episode from the celebration, which would be really cool. Although, you know, probably not, since this is a movie podcast and not a Star Wars themed one, which I think is a requirement, but I'm not sure. We'll see. I am a huge fan, though, like I mentioned, of the Star Wars franchise, and Solo was a very interesting movie. So we'll get more into that in a bit, but for now, let's start things off with the Merc with a Mouth's latest adventure, Deadpool 2. It's what you hearing? Listen. This what you hearing? Listen. This what you hearing? Listen. Go give it to your
0: blood. Wait for you to get it on your own. Excellent to you. Knock knock. Open up the door to sprill. With the non-stop, pop problem, stay in still. So hard
1: getting With this review, I've brought in a familiar guest. Some of you may recognize his voice, as I'm happy to be joined by my friend, colleague, and fellow podcaster Mark Stanush. Mark? thanks for joining me thanks for having me again so mark have you here to talk about deadpool 2 before we talk about deadpool 2 specifically let's talk about deadpool the first one that came out a few years ago so what did you what were your impressions of that movie after you saw it i thought
0: similar to this one that it was kind of refreshing and surprising i with a lot of these movies that i know i'm going to i don't kind of get into too many trailers and all this i just go i remember i actually went with my I. Uh, Girlfriend at the time, now wife. And uh, there was a line in it where it came out on Valentine's Day. And there's a line where he breaks that fourth wall and kind of references, oh, you thought this was a romantic comedy or whatever. Oh, your boyfriend must have told you this. And I thought that kind of summed up how I felt about that movie. And it really mastered. He's the perfect. Ryan Reynolds is the perfect guy to play this character. That is a comic book character I never really got into. Um, but I think it almost works better for movies, breaking that fourth wall. And uh, one thing I would also say is that my my wife um, or girlfriend at that time, Amelia, she enjoyed it quite a lot. And it's not her favorite genre, the superhero movies. But she, I think, appreciated how different it was than the typical superhero movie. So then I
1: assume you went to see the second one with Amelia. Yeah, and my brother, David, who's also been on the show. Okay, yeah. So what? Did, what did uh, okay, Since since we we probably know what David thinks because you know he's a he like like us. He is a comic book fan. He's a pop culture fan, right? But I get the sense that Amelia is she her window into the universe of pop culture is through you, I guess, right? Yeah, so fair to say, what, what what did she think of Deadpool? Too.
0: We actually kind of talked about it right before I came over here, and she kind of had the same idea, a little bit more the same. And um, I was just kind of running some ideas uh, off her and. Was it funnier? Was it gorier? Was it this? And in her opinion, she kind of said it was the same. And she's not a big fan of the gore, and there was a couple times that she would have to, like, you know, look away or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think that she, and, and to be fair, she's also not the most, um, she's not very crass. So some of that humor, like, uh, in general, swearing. Right, right. Kind of turns her off a little bit. But she, she had a fun time, too. She definitely did.
1: I, I feel like the second one had a lot more, or I should say it, it moved away from the just crass humor, whereas I felt the first movie had maybe was like 75% kind of crude toilety kind of humor and 25% lampooning the genre and breaking the fourth wall, like you mentioned. Whereas in Deadpool 2, it almost was the reverse. There was not a lot... I mean, there was a lot of cursing. There were a lot of F-bombs. They used the C-word a few times. Like, And I had no problem with that in these kind of R-rated movies. I, I think it adds to the kind of, like, raunchiness of it, for lack of a better term. But I almost feel like Deadpool 2 decided consciously to make fun of the X-Men more and Wolverine more. And, you know, they drop a few Avengers ca- jokes and they'd make a Batman joke, right? They, like, lampoon the the superhero genre, I think, in a in a more... I guess a more meta way, a larger way. And I, I don't know. What are your, What were your thoughts on that?
0: I think that makes sense. That the first one is more of an introduction to the character. And that is a crass character. And in the second one, I feel like some of that, they went away from that because they've already established his personality. And um, like we said, Ryan Reynolds, like he, he owns this character. I think he takes he a lot of pride in kind of... I mean, he kind of steamrolls everyone in every scene. Like, he really is. But, I mean, he's the titular character, so power tube in that. And when it comes to lampooning and being kind of paradoxical and, you know, making fun of all these other comic book movies, I liked it. I thought that uh, those are the jokes that someone... Like, there was a reference to the The fact that Superman and Batman both had Martha, right? Uh, yeah. Like little things like that, where no way did Amelia get that joke. But I'll I'll admit that the jokes come so fast and furious that it doesn't even necessarily like if you didn't get one, you're going to laugh a minute later because of another one. I think that it's refreshing because when you compare it to what just came out in Avengers, we have something with such a big scope, and this is kind of a much smaller scope. And the fact that they're poking fun of that, it's like a palate cleanser almost compared to Infinity War, which is so, you know, oh, it's gloom and doom and what repercussions are going to be for the rest of the series. And this one kind of like, it kind of laughs at the idea of repercussions and what this movie means for the next movie. It kind of scoffs at that whole idea, which I thought was, like I said, I think the best word is refreshing. That's my favorite way to describe it.
1: I think you're, and I think you're, you make a good point about the jokes just come a mile a minute. They just keep coming. Like they they don't they don't stop at any point in this movie, right? Like even even some of the jokes. He, he even makes jokes in in the dream sequences he has, right? And they just they keep coming. And there's some that don't entirely land. They kind of go on a little, like just a, a tad too long. I felt kind of like Family Guy esque, in a you know, his, his grasping his knee and that, that kind of thing. I think it kind of goes on a little too long. But and I think you make a great point that if it doesn't land or if you don't get it, ten seconds later there's another one. Like I think there's there's that prison sequence and in the span of I wanna say 60 seconds 90 seconds they make a joke about batman they make a joke about dubstep they make a joke about like breaking bones they make a joke about like suicide you know and 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 i think even if you didn't get say the batman joke or the dubstep joke you might get the other two in some way that might you might be able to relate to a little more which i think is probably the the benefit to deadpool 2 over over the avengers right because i feel like you you probably can go see avengers infinity war without having seen all of the other marvel movies but it's almost like those movies or that movie specifically is a reward for you having gone to see the last 10 years worth of Marvel that movies. That was really
0: well put on your podcast discussing it. Where I think, I mean, would you disagree to say Deadpool 2 that you don't necessarily need to see Deadpool 1 to enjoy? And I would say almost more than any, like of all the sequels of any superhero movie, maybe the least dependent on its uh, original. And I, I mean, there of course there was an origin story in the original, where he gets his superpowers and all this, but because of the the structure of this Deadpool two, that is, it doesn't seem like all that really. You don't necessarily need to know all those details. Like, would you say this is friendly to someone who hasn't seen Deadpool one?
1: I think I would because it's it's not. Even if you hadn't seen Deadpool one and you're and you think to yourself, what is his deal? Right, all all, all you need to know is you learn in that in the first. I would say 10 minutes where it's kind of a, he says, oh, let's go back to five days ago. And then you see what he's been doing for five in, in those past five days. And you, you learn that he's a contract killer and he has superpowers, right? And that's all you, it's all you really need to know about Deadpool. You
0: said on Twitter that you didn't like the first 15 minutes. What did, what was your issue?
1: I think because in, in that first 15 minutes, he didn't really, I think that's probably why, because he didn't really do anything that, wasn't, that we didn't already know, right? It, it wasn't anything new. It was, just, it, it, it was just gratuitous violence of him like just jumping around and cutting people's hands off and cutting people's heads off. And, and then, and then once, once the movie catches back up to the kind of... Because it was kind of like a prologue almost, right? Yep. Once, it, once we get out of the prologue and we get into him moving the plot forward and him meeting the X-Men and so on and so forth, that it, that I feel like the movie just takes off from there. It was kind of, I was a little worried initially that it was going to be just more of the same, like just more kind of empty violence more like you know silly jokes and you know like he the movie i think the movie opens the very first thing you see is him just smoking a cigarette and i i I admit I was a little, I was a little wary because not only did I not really care for the first Deadpool, but the, we were sitting next to these two people in the theater who as soon as the, as soon as the lights went down and the, the, the movie came up on the screen and you see him smoking, he's not doing anything. He's literally just standing there smoking before it even pans down to the first kind of like joke of the movie. Like before that even happens, when you just see him looking at the camera smoking, these two people sitting on my left who were sitting at the very end of the row, they just burst out laughing. Like in a dead silent cinema, they just burst out laughing. And I thought to myself, oh, geez, here we go. Like, i mean been uh, to these yeah. people for two and a half Were hours. they bad the whole movie or? I, you know what? They laughed at pretty much everything for the entire mm. movie, but I almost felt like it, 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 it got, because the movie got so much better everyone was laughing so it didn't it wasn't like they were laughing by themselves but there were definitely points where even in the kind of poignant moments they were just like knee slapping laughing but you know what humor is subjective i can hardly be mad at them for that i
0: actually i mean i had a terrible experience not a terrible experience black panther and both uh, black panther and infinity war i had a a poor movie theater experience despite seeing both of them very early just because of the people around me and for whatever, it tend to be teenagers and just not being very respectful of people around them. I was lucky this time to have a pretty good experience. Um, did you see it on the opening day? I did. I saw it yeah. on Thursday. Yeah, it was it tends it was, to help, but I mean, yeah, it tends to avoid people that don't care. But sometimes you get the overeager, the clappers. Oh, the worst. The <laughs> clappers are the worst. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad that the jokes picked up so that, but. There's nothing worse than a, a joke that misses. Because, you know, we talked about Fast and Furious and this and that. And some jokes you might go over your head if you aren't familiar. There were some jokes I wasn't, I didn't love. And they can, and that can be magnified if someone's laughing at a joke that you, it's not that the jokes I don't like. I think we talked about, you mentioned Family Guy and sometimes them lingering on a joke. Right. Or um, to me, it's worse when you kind of repeat a joke. It's one thing to layer a joke. And they did that sometimes. Yeah, sure. Kind of, you know, taking the same subject matter from different angles without getting too specific. Cause I don't want to ruin the last or anyone when they get there. But other times there was a couple moments where they just almost verbatim said a joke. And sometimes it was because the joke was so funny, but they just say it again. And in some cases it was mere minutes after the first time. And it just seemed cheap. And it, it, to me, when, just to go a little off topic quickly, Simpsons yeah, yeah. is a very popular show, and I, I'm i someone who loves the old Simpsons and, like, you know, all these hipsters. I think the newer ones are kind of worse. And I, whenever I talk to an apologist who always thinks that, oh, the episodes are still good, and I kind of give him a chance, the highs are still there. Like, a, a great Simpsons episode, even a new one, there's, there's ones, the highs are still there. But to me, when you go to comedy, misses can be, like, a bad miss can be more detracting than what a, a great joke can add. I don't know. That could just be personal preference, but when a joke kind of it doesn't have to be off color or anything, but it's just like there's it gives the impression of trying too hard. And I don't think that was a, a huge issue with this movie, but there was one or two t- takes, and most of the times it was when a joke was repeated in that Family yeah, yeah. Guy style you mentioned.
1: I think I think also a Deadpool two. And I think why it might be more noticeable in Deadpool two. Is because so many, I would say, if not all the jokes, but most of the jokes rely on some kind of pop culture reference. And I think in a movie that prides itself on breaking the fourth wall, right? Where they're kind of like looking at the audience and like winking a little bit. And he is the only one who breaks the fourth wall, right? Like no one else does it, right? So in that sense... If he makes a joke and it doesn't land and it's a pop culture joke, you know, kind of like even if he's not saying it directly to you, you know that the joke is meant for the audience. Right. And then you kind of and it, 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 I think it's distracting because it essentially takes you out of the movie. Right. Even though the whole idea of breaking the fourth wall is meant to do that, it almost does it in like an, in another way because you expect it to mesh with the rest of the, you know, the the assonance of the movie right and, and, and it said it, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb for you much like a you know like hitting a wrong note on a piano does right because yeah. because so many of the jokes are actually pretty funny yeah. right like I think one of my favorite moments in the whole movie is when um, Deadpool and Cable Meet for the first time, uh, and De- Cable, who is pretty much who was great. I thought Josh, I thought Josh Brolin did a great job. A little as Cable. Underused in my yeah, opinion. he, he, he like he, his performance. I thought was like in, was, was entertaining. He looked cool. Yeah. You know, he did cool things. I think that's all you can really ask for. And the first time he says something funny. I like laughed out loud because you don't really expect it right and it, it I think that was one of my favorite moments in the whole movie just because it comes in the middle of an action sequence and it's not funny in terms of like it's funny to the audience but he's not saying it to be funny he's saying it because he thinks it's like it's the correct statement or whatever, right? And um, it was—I I thought that was a great moment. But then they, t- to what you, to your point, they repeat the joke like ten minutes later in the movie. I'm kind of—I kind of go, okay, well, they could have said something else. There, <laughs> it's not as funny as I second time.
0: I mean, that, I think that's their commitment to being that fast and furious, nonstop yeah. jokes. And um, like you know, like I said, I think it's a personal preference there about those misses. Some people, like I said, it can go over their head and it, whatever. They're going to get another joke, and it's. It definitely had me laughing out loud in a theater sometimes. And that's not something that even if I find a movie funny, that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. So
1: I thought on the humor side, no issues. I remember on one of the uh, episodes of your own podcast, Pod Drop. I remember you talked with your brother about comic books and X Men and so on and so forth. And of course, Deadpool is part of that universe, as we learned this movie, learned in the last movie. And you know, he's a re- relatively popular character even in today's age, even before the Ryan Reynolds movies, right? And I want—I guess—I wanted to ask, how did you feel about the inclusion of these? I I'm not super familiar with them but these like X-Force quote unquote characters cuz I'm not, I am more or less I was familiar with I I was familiar with the actors who played them but not the actual members themselves.
0: There were some more obscure characters in kind of the comic book universe for sure. What it made me think and the the way the movie ended and specifically even the post-credit sequence which right. was hilarious but Raises a few questions about like uh, where the movie's going, where the future movies could go. It made me worry a little bit about bringing these characters into the Marvel Universe eventually. And that's kind of what I discussed on my uh, podcast. And I had my brother David on my guest for this particular episode, where we discussed mainly the the way that Disney purchased Fox and how X-Men characters, Fantastic Four, kind of deep dive on their kind of storied history uh, in the film universe. And when I'm thinking you want to bring these characters into the fold, you might want to kind of like scale it down to make that transition easier. We're here. They're quite literally bringing in more characters and, and building a team, this X-Force team that could, you know, maybe the next movie isn't Deadpool 3. It's X-Force with Deadpool or and it just makes me, and, and, and once again, that the way that the movie ended, I just don't necessarily see like a, a very clear transition to bringing these guys into the, the cinematic universe. Right. Whereas X-Men and Fantastic Four and all that, Deadpool is a bit of an oddball where he would be, just with his fourth wall breaking and kind of the subject matter, he may not be the right fit for that universe, and that could be okay. But what I got from that. And of course, the script and all this was probably, you know, had begun before the the possibility of these characters necessarily getting
1: back together. Like before the details of the like this Disney Fox deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But that may not be their priority. It might not be their priority to kind of bring everything back. I, for one, thought that the extra characters gave Deadpool more, or Ryan Reynolds in this case, more people to bounce jokes off of. And the returning characters from the the previous uh, film, the taxi driver, mm. Dupender, and um,
1: TJ Miller. Miller's yeah. character,
0: the bartender, um, both came back, and I thought they, they did well, and they were some of the funnier moments for sure. Uh, but I just think his range grew as more characters came, and I felt like those characters were a little underused, in particular um, Cable. I thought that uh, his story, um, very Looper-esque, the, 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 the Ryan Johnson, it was very, like I, I turned libresque. to my wife Amelia and said, <laughs> "This feels a lot like Glooper, but um, I thought that he was a little underused. Is back? He was cool, but a good example is he never really like mentioned what his powers were. Take it where you want, but like a lot of superhero nerds like to kind of know some of those specifics <laughs> because Cable's a character that I don't even know that well. Like, I know his kind of Cole's notes, and I." You know, played with him in Marvel vs. Capcom right, 2, right. like the old fashioned one. Um, but sometimes, you know, maybe you don't want to get too bogged down in exposition, but I would like to know a little bit more about him. Even, um, it's not a spoiler to say that he's from the future. Just to say no, that. No, I don't yeah. think so. So, Cable is a time traveler. And that's in one of
1: the trailers. Exactly. Sure. So, yeah.
0: um, just to say about like what we see from this future, which could be a really cool part, it's literally we see one room. From the future, yeah. you see one room that th- it's visited a couple times in the flashbacks and in, in in the actual movie, and I kind of wanted to know more about that, more about the character. Um, but maybe that's what we're going to go with X Force movies if that is the step that Fox
1: slash Disney now wants to take. I-, I almost feel like the Deadpool movies. Exist even though they even though they say they exist in the same timeline. You know, I I use time. I should say use timeline with air quotes, right? Because the timeline of the X Men movies are are just like all over the place, right? But I would say I almost feel like the Deadpool movies do and don't exist in in the X-Men timeline of movies if only because we see a glimpse of some of the characters from the new the new movies right and we know those movies take place like Deadpool 2 takes place ostensibly in 2018 right yeah. whereas we we know X-Men Apocalypse takes place in the 80s right and so just just by knowing that you can you can and then you by seeing what happens in Deadpool 2 without spoiling it you you kind of think to yourself, oh, okay, that was really cool, but at the same time, they probably just included that as a gag because they're filming the next one, which takes place in the 90s, yeah. but, like, that's the 90s, and this is, like, what, 28 years later? Like, that's probably not the same. It's probably more of just a gag for us, exactly. the viewers, than actually saying it does take place in, in that universe, even though Colossus is a major character, right? Yeah. He, Colossus,
0: he was a major character in the first in one. In the first one, too, I would yeah, say yeah. maybe a little bit bigger in this one, Definitely a, Definitely um, bigger in
1: this one, yeah, I agree. I... And I like
0: that they poke fun at the fact, leading up to kind of the joke that you just kind of mentioned there with those cameos, was how, like, Klaus is uh, kind of is the the front for the X-Men in this universe, and you don't really see many other X-Men. Uh, there are a couple, but um, that kind of breaks the fourth wall there, and you know what? That was a, a fun cameo, one of many fun cameos in the, in the movie, without spoiling any, um, there are some actor cameos that are great and really well done. And there are some, uh, like, I I would say spoilery territory, but there are some like characters that you may not have expected to show up. Um, one in particular that kind of gets introduced in the third act is like another bad, um, which is, which was really cool and appreciated by X-Men fans or comic book fans in general.
1: Yeah, it was really good. Uh, we'll, we'll finish on this. I guess now that we've seen Deadpool two, uh, what, what are you expecting from, this kind of side, side Marvel universe going forward? I think
0: side Marvel, me and my bro- on a quick tangent, me and my brother were talking, there's actually 25 movies that aren't MCU right. Marvel movies. I mean, that's going back to like Blade, Blade and stuff, all that. Right, but right. like, it's crazy to think, um, I, like I said, I kind of would like, as a comic book nerd, completionist guy, I like, I would like for them to kind of narrow the scope and find an easy transition into, I guess, what would have to be phase five, or like depends whatever you call the the cinematic universe, the post-Infinity War Part Two world. Find a way to get these guys kind of transition them in. Deadpool, though, may be the exception to that rule. I think just because of that fourth wall breaking nature that I would just like to see more of him surround him with these characters that we, we have had, but I wouldn't mind if we don't see some of the, the supporting cast we saw, whether it's Colossus or even Cable or Domino. It's almost like the more people we can bring in is a more opportunity for Deadpool to make Ryan Reynolds to make jokes with other people. And I think that is what this particular Marvel side project is all about. It's about the laughs and, you know, Thor Ragnarok was really funny this is funny, just in a bit of a different way. In a
1: different way, it's not agree.
0: funnier or less funny or all that. It's just different, and it's refreshing. Once again, I'll go go back to that. And I just want, it, once you go to a third movie, it's hard to stay refreshing. But I think Deadpool is a character that could do that and be a pillar for this, this Fox Disney Marvel side universe.
1: Okay, since I, actually, I know we said we were we were to end on that question, let me since I have you here, let me ask you one last question for real what do you think in terms of the MCU, the actual MCU proper, right? For post uh, Avengers for let's call it, which, which comes out next summer, right? So once next summer is, has come and gone, right? Um, what do you, what's your prediction for who the next overarching bad guy will be? Cause I mean, let, let's assume that Thanos dies, right? Let's assume that he's gone. That that whole wrap, that whole arc is wrapped up with the infinity stones. They saved the universe and now they're making more Marvel movies, Who's the bad guy? I have my own theory, but I mean, they haven't really. They, they announced some news on that front, like kind of yesterday, but I don't. Still, don't think it's probably. It's probably not going to happen. This is just a personal hope of mine. But I want to. I want to get your thoughts first.
0: Well, I'd love to hear that in just a sec. But when you say big bad, it's tough. I'm. I'm kind of like going through my head and kind of mining some of the, the bigger. Because when it's when it's Avengers, it's got to be like world ending, mm-hmm. which. You can get a little tired of, and I think like like this movie and movies like Ant Man are kind of um, step away from that and go smaller scale stuff. But I'm thinking like there was uh, the Skrull invasion, which mm-hmm. is something that could be connected to Miss Marvel because Miss Marvel's or uh, her character has kind of always been um, closely tied to that, and that's basically just another alien force. But in terms of a big bad guy, it's it's a good question. I. <laughs> It's funny because they they've done Galactus, they've done, a, uh, Apocalypse in X Men. If you were to think they were going to bring that yeah, in, yeah. like they've they kind of Thanos is arguably the biggest, if not yeah, one of the biggest, if not the biggest bad in the Marvel kind of backlog. If I'm forgetting, Ooh, I got to hear your idea now.
1: Well, they kind of this is does kind of. I almost feel like cheating because they they did kind of say that. Spider-Man Homecoming 2 is going to be the the jumping off point for the next the next phase I like you said I'm not sure if they're really even calling them phases anymore right yep. but the next arc of movies once this 20-something movie arc finishes yeah. with Avengers Rumor 4. Rumor right? is uh, it,
0: Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. is going to play Mysterio, who's one of my favorite villains in Spider-Man, which is my favorite of all the comics. Yeah, so I'm and, really excited and, for and that. that
1: was a news I was alluding to yeah. that was announced yesterday, right? So yeah. this is why I was kind of thinking that maybe my theory may not actually happen, because my theory was that in Spider-Man Homecoming, the first one, we learned that Tony sells Avengers Tower to move upstate to... Like you know, like that the, the Avengers facility that's in like the middle of nowhere in New York, right? Um, you know, he's he leaves this gigantic skyscraper in the middle of New York City, and it was introduced in a Spider-Man movie. And I feel like if, if Spider-Man is truly back in the fold from Sony, and and, and they can use whatever they want with Spider-Man, uh, although maybe not Venom, I guess. But I'm not sure what the deal yeah, is with that's... Venom. But but uh, if if they can use whatever they want with the Spider-Man franchise, I feel like if they wanted to actually maybe have a smaller scale big bad villain, it'd be cool to introduce Norman Osborn. Yes. I mean, because, I mean, who it, it would make sense. Norman Osborn could buy Avengers Tower from Tony. He's rich enough. They could, they could even make him a little younger if they wanted to and, and uh, the, develop him over a bunch of movies. You The know?
0: Spider-Man Ultimate, which, uh, homecoming actually draws some from spider man ultimate which is the alternate universe where kind of marvel doubled down and kind of retconned a whole other universe where they can kind of play the green goblin i'll just quickly say is a little bit less like he's not the glider and uh kind of guy in a mask he's a little bit more of a physically intimidating picture almost like a thanos type build um sort of bad so that could um visually and i would say that character was probably more even though he was often handled by just spider-man i would say is a little bit more of a a threat than the green goblin that we saw in the first toby Maguire spider-man for right. so i think that's yeah. i think that's awesome and he has a lot of history in the comics like he is people argue whether Doc, dr octopus or uh, or norman osborne would be like the joker to, right. to the spider-man and that is to be like the ultimate villain i would say it is green goblin a so, lot of history and a lot of ways they could go and that's a great idea
1: I just think it would be a lot of fun to just introduce something, not like especially if the theories of everyone saying, "Oh, well, Spider Man will come back, and maybe they'll retire the Hulk, they'll retire Iron Man, they'll retire Captain America, and the Avengers going forward will be Black Panther, who's a little more down to earth, you know, Spider Man, who's getting a little more down to earth. Like all you have all these other superheroes who are a little more, you know, local to Earth, and you know, Black Panther hangs out in Wakanda, and Spider Man hangs out in New York, and so on and so forth. So it'd be kind of cool to see them handle a more." Like earthy kind of villain, I guess, for lack of a better term. I, that's what. That's why I'm kind of. I'm almost happy they're introducing Jake Hall as potentially as Mysterio because then you could. We could still get Norman Osborn in the next movie, and he just could just be a, some guy. Like they 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 meet in a or there's a cameo or there's a, there's a million ways they could do it, and it's possible they don't even do Norman Osborn at all. But I I, I feel like he's such a big part of the Marvel universe. It'd be hard at some point not to get to him. Then again. You know, on the other hand, who's I even like more than uh, than Norman Osborn as a villain. Who I, I I would love to see him done correctly as Doctor Doom. Now, yes, and, and, that's and, actually
0: where when you first asked, I was going that direction too a little bit, and because of the Fantastic Four, and if they can bring the Fantastic Four in, he is another villain that kind of has leveled to a different kind of galactic threats right. per se. So, I, I think. Though that character has never really been done right in the movies. Never. Yeah, and never. That was another thing I discussed in my podcast, which I'll just quickly kind of yeah, uh, launched it last month. Um, the, the quick elevator pitch is, it's called Pod Drop. It can be found in all your podcast services. Rather than a weekly kind of show, uh, I'm going for more of a, a batches of episodes. I call them seasons. Um, they're small batches. And uh, I explore different uh, areas of pop culture. So video games, uh, movies, and television, and... Uh, also sports. And through that, I kind of find one common thread and we discuss stories. Um, I discuss it with different guests and we kind of tie bigger themes together. And I had you on the video game one, so any video game fans uh, that can be found, we talked about the first season was all about subscription services and the new digital model. And we talked kind of about Disney's plan um, moving forward to open up their own streaming service and what that means, particularly for the superheroes, And I brought my brother on to kind of talk about that. And we talked about the fantastic four and we talked about whether those characters can be done. Right. Mm -hmm. There's just something about them. Like they are Marvel's first family for those that don't know, like they're the ones that started it all. It wasn't Spider-Man. Definitely wasn't Iron Man, uh, which some of the newer fans might think, but there's something about like a family of four white, like just there's that, there's something antiquated about them. And I, I, Wonder if Disney could just sprinkle their Disney magic and get it right. I, mean, I, kinda, I feel like yeah.
1: they, I feel like they can. They can, you know, like they they can do anything. They, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: It's kind of the spoiler at the end of the podcast. They can do anything. It's Disney, right? I mean, they tried doing really quickly. They tried doing on the last Fantastic Four a little bit of um, mixing up. Like race blending for lack of a better term um putting in and I, I don't know if that was the solution there were so many issues with that 2015 fantastic that movie four was so bad. and it oh kind gosh. of it kind of harmed that franchise but if anyone can bring it back, Disney could and I think making a big splash by introducing a villain that can have his tentacles into the other movies like Dr. Doom would be a savvy move. To get a few more eyeballs, not that they're going to struggle, but to get a few more eyeballs on a new hero that they're going to bring in. New hero group, actually,
1: yeah that would be that would be a lot of fun to watch and of course everyone wants the X-Men in there at some point but I, honestly I, I almost feel that the X-Men I, I believe Kevin Fage when I read or the the statements he makes saying we have no plans to bring in the X-Men maybe in the distant future but as of right now we're focusing on the next stage which I feel like could be more Spider-Man related could be more Sinister Six if they want to go that direction they could be more like the Dark Avengers or the whatever they were Sinister called Sinister Six would be awesome you know, like that's, it, like
0: my, that's what they were setting up in Amazing Spider-Man movies yeah. like they had like post-credit scenes and setting it all up yeah, and then yeah. they just well think, it think about in. it
1: in, in homecoming they had we, we meet scorpion yep. even though he has not in the armor yet but we see him in the in the movie itself we already had the vulture and now we might be getting mysterio it seems to be the way they're going and they right? shocker too And they yeah, shocker yeah, yeah, yeah. Too. yeah i mean he's like dead now right yeah,
0: but, but, but i mean like but he I mean, even in the comic book his mantle gets picked gets up by other on, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so
1: who, who are the other members then that's, that's, it, that's four right different there, iterations right? dr Dark Dark octopus has always kind of been
0: like the main is venom ever in the No, Um, there's been times when Green Goblin's been and Hobgoblin's been, and there's been Rhino is often a mainstay, but the uh, Sinister Six is another mantle that has been passed along that has always kind of evolved, and uh, Sandman's been part of it, and it can be whatever Six they want. That's true, that's Um, true. But, I mean, it's funny you say distant future. We talk about this every single time. How long can this bubble go on where they make these movies? We keep going, and I guess, you know what? I think we said it one more time, but the X-Men movies, I think as Marvel sets up their next phase, it's time for these side Marvel movies to just set the table to ease the transition, and that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, well, X-Men included.
1: Well, no, thing, I think that's a I think that's a great point. I am looking forward to seeing whatever it is. Uh, we both know we're both going to go see it, even yep. though, even if it's terrible. We're both going to see it and have our own thoughts on it. So, but for now, uh, Mark, thank you for coming by the podcast. I always appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was me in conversation with Mark Stanush, one of my good friends and, of course, the host of Pod Drop, his podcast out now. Definitely give it a listen, especially the video game episode, of course, if you're interested in the dulcet tones of his amazingly talented guest. Our next review focuses, like I mentioned, off the top on a movie that I've been looking forward to for some time. So let's get right into the latest adventure from that galaxy far, far away solo play the Star Wars game this song is actually from I think it was for the Xbox and it was for Xbox it was one of those Xbox connect games so the connect is it was kind of like a peripheral that you could buy for your Xbox one and it would sit either on your TV or on the console that your TV sat on you know just kind of off the edge uh, just next to the Xbox or on top of the Xbox wherever you wanted to put it, it had to be near because it was plugged into the actual console itself right and you would know, watch it'd watch you because it has a camera and you could like say things to it and instruct it to turn the Xbox on or you know turn you know launch an app or launch a game or turn itself off or you know and then and then of course because they wanted to make games with this thing they would it, it would use its camera to watch your movements and then you could like you know do the movements and it would it would correspond to your movements I think it was supposed to be the answer to the Wii right because the Wii the Nintendo Wii was va- was very popular and anyway so I don't want to get too much into the video game stuff but This song is from that game, and you basically do the dance while you're, you know, you're dancing along to, you know, I'm solo, sun solo, and I, and (laughs) it's not, it's not great, it's not a great game, not a great song, but I, as soon as they announced that this movie was being made years ago, I couldn't help but think of this song, and I mean, I think some enterprising person out there actually made a cut of the trailer, the teaser trailer, or maybe it, was, maybe it was the official trailer, actually. But one of the trailers, they made a cut of it. And they just removed the music and put this music in. And honestly, I kind of agree with the top YouTube comment on that channel. I, I am ashamed of how much I enjoyed it. Because the music fits so shockingly well. Anyways. Han Solo. In theaters now. I should say it's actually called Solo, A Star Wars Story. And you know... Despite it being in theaters, it's been a weird ride, you know. It, it, there were rumors of acting coaches for Alden Ehrenreich, there were a direct there was a directorial change with Ron Howard taking over for the guys who made the Lego movie, right? And I think for movies like this, it's always kind of worrying when all these things happen, because you think to yourself, oh man, they had to do reshoots, they had to do this, they had to do that. Is this movie actually going to be any good? And I'll say right off the bat, I think this movie is a lot of fun, which is a good thing, right? I mean, it's not what you want when you go to the theaters, right? It's a lot of fun. It's action packed. And I think it accomplishes above all else. I mean, obviously being fun and action packed is what you want, right? But above all else, I think it it does the best possible job that an origin story has to do. It has to accomplish this, and it did it really well. That it colors in the relationships that Han makes with the saga's, you know, most famously endearing characters. It it, it informs the characterizations of the characters we all know and love, right? Like Han, sure, because we know what he's all about, but also Lando, also Chewie, right? We We see all of these things. We see how their relationships develop. And that's what's important because we know Han doesn't die. We know Lando doesn't die. We know nothing bad happens to Chewie. We know the Millennium Falcon, which almost is a character in itself for Han Solo. We know even the Millennium Falcon is fine because we are still seeing it in the last Jedi, what 30 something, 40 something years later. In that sense, Solo, a Star Wars story does an amazing job at being fun, but also bringing a new kind of feel to Han Solo. And, Honestly, it starts with the acting. I already mentioned Alden Ehrenreich, and of course he was in uh, Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie, right? And a lot of people were worried that he doesn't really look like Harrison Ford. And he doesn't, no, he does not look like Harrison Ford, but he brings an undeniable charm to the role. Honestly, he really does, and that, to me at least is the only real essential part of embodying the famous smuggler right it's he's arrogant but he's also really earnest and that combination makes for a lot of really fun interplay with the other actors. He just brings this swagger. You know, he stands like Han and he points and acts like him. There's a moment near the end where he kind of tries to bluff his way out of a really bad situation and it completely (laughs) backfires. And that is just typical Han Solo. And I think that makes him more like Han Solo than Anything else, you know, looks or whatever, could have possibly done, right? Of course, there are other actors as well. Donald Glover is brilliant as Lando Calrissian. You know, he... I don't think he's in a lot of scenes. I mean, he is in a huge, huge chunk of the movie. And I think he steals a lot of those scenes he's in, if not every single one of them. I mean, Lando even has a closet dedicated to capes. And he's just very charming and very, like, smooth. And I think it's great... He does a great job of not impersonating Billy D. Williams. He he, he kind of does the hello that Billy D. Williams kind of made Lando famous for, right? The whole cult forty five type smoothness to uh, to Lando from the eighties and whatnot. But he doesn't do a straight impersonation. He makes it his own, which I think was key, right? Same same way that Alden Ehrenreich didn't and shouldn't have done an impersonation of harrison ford donald glover does not do an impersonation ability williams and i think it works out best for both of them right the other characters of course there's uh woody harrelson he appears as beckett tobias beckett the scoundrel who teaches han his ways and of course yonas suotamo returns as chewbacca after he inherited the role from the original Wookiee peter mayhew who is of course 74 and has a pair of bad knees uh, for the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi, so of course Sultama comes back as Chewie again. I've often wondered how they film it. I mean, when they when they show you the close up on Chewie's face, is he like speaking English for the sake of all the Aaron lines, and then they just dub over with it with the rookie sounds, or is Suotomo actually doing the the Chewie sound effects? I won't even. I was going to try it right there. I was going to try it and do it myself, but I can't. I'm bad at it, and I won't try. It's one of my failings as a Star Wars fan, unfortunately. But uh, not only is This movie action-packed, it's chock-full of references to the old expanded universe, which is now Legends, right? They left a lot of creative Easter eggs for fans to find. And I kind of wonder, by dint of mentioning these Legends on the big screen in a movie that is canon, does that mean they themselves are canon now, or is it just a fun reference, right? Like, I'll give you an example. Lando mentions his adventures in other parts of the galaxy. He name drops Sheru and he name drops the Star Caves. And you're kind of like, oh, those are just weird sci-fi things. But they're actually pulled from L. Neal Smith's uh, 1983 novels, Lando Calrissian in the Mind Harp of Sheru and Lando Calrissian in the Star Cave of Thon Boca. And no, they're not great books i read i've read i'm not gonna lie i've read pretty much every single star wars Expanded universe book all the old ones most if not all of the new ones there's a, there's a lot of new ones out there that i haven't read but still i read pretty much all of them so i get all the references and it feels that much more richer to me and maybe that's why i liked it so much because a lot of the new disney canon has been about i don't want to say erasing the legend stuff but they i think they wisely realized that a lot of the old legends books specifically are not good. And some of those things include the Mind Harp of Sheru and the Star Cave of Thonboka. Boca. If the names didn't give it away, they're not great novels. There's a host of other fun nods as well, including Han joining the Empire at a young age. That idea was drawn from Anne C. Crispin's 1997 trilogy of books, which centered on Han. You know, we learned that the Imperial Academy is on the planet of Karida, the planet first introduced in Kevin J. Anderson's 1994 Jedi Academy trilogy. Uh, that trilogy also had some more backstory for the spice mines of Kessel and the idea of the Maw. I won't spoil them for you because that's a fun part of the film, but they are included, which is really cool. And we even get a mention of Taras Kasi, a martial art that was made famous in the first ever PlayStation Star Wars game, actually, Masters of Taras which came out in 1997 as well. So, you know, a lot of really cool deep cuts, if that's what you want to call them, some really cool references that ron howard and the writers really went out of their way to include they didn't have to but i think it was a i don't want to go as far to call this a love letter to star wars fans because that's not what it is obviously it's just a fun reference but it is really cool to see that they're willing to do that which gives me hope for the other standalone star wars stories not that i think the Force Awakens and The Last Jedi aren't cool as well because it's always fun to get original stuff, but if they, if they do go ahead with the rumors about Obi-Wan Kenobi or Boba Fett, I really hope some of the other stories that surrounded them—there's a Kenobi book, there's a bunch of Boba Fett books, there's a whole trilogy on him and the other bounty hunters, the bounty hunter guild and all that kind of stuff, right? It'd be really, really, really cool— for them to incorporate things from those books as well, because they were really good. For, for, all, for every mind harp of Sheru, there's a Boba Fett book and Han Solo book and Mace Windu book, Shatterpoints, so good. There's so many other stories that are worth telling in the Star Wars universe that were explored in books. So in that sense, it's really neat and a lot of fun to see that part of the universe come to life there's some fun other references as well some in canon if you will references you know beckett wears an outfit later seen on lando in return of the jedi there's even a blink and you'll miss it cameo from harrison ford himself he's only on screen for maybe two three frames so quick it's easy to not even realize it took place and even if you did realize it you might think oh maybe i didn't even see that for real right but it's quite cl- cleverly added in and it was a nice way for the franchise to tip its cap not to just one of hollywood's most famous stars but just someone so beloved by star wars fans all around so that was really cool I will say this, though. I, I've been going on a lot about how, how positive this movie is, and I have to say it's far from perfect, okay? The biggest sin, to me, at least, is that it intentionally sidelines pretty much every major female character, right? Emilia Clark, and, and I know you're probably wondering why haven't I mentioned Emilia Clark so far, right? Because she is one of the major actresses in this film. Her character, Kira... She's given the most screen time in terms of the female characters, but even after we only vaguely learn about the struggles she's endured while apart from Han, how, how much of a badass she must have been to get out of this horrible situation, as soon as she's united with him, almost every action she takes and every scene she is in has to do with their relationship, has to do with them kissing, has to do with them talking about their future together and about like her becoming his girlfriend. and It just it just took away from the characterization of this badass independent woman and made her more into Hans love interest, which is a bit of a shame because she's really cool, right? Thanny Newton, the other relatively large Hollywood actress cast, you might recognize her from Westworld currently, right? She's also in the Chronicles of Riddick. She's been in a lot of movies, right? She's cast aside about 30 minutes in. It's, it's honestly easy to forget Andy Newton is in this movie at all. Honestly, I had to think about it when I was... L- thinking of points of this podcast episode. And I, I almost honestly forgot that she was in this movie, which is sad to say because Stanny Newton is awesome, right? Phoebe Waller Bridge is the female voice droid, L three three seven and Even though she is probably one of the most interesting Star Wars characters to come to the big screen since Disney acquired the franchise, she is also set aside about halfway into the movie. Erin Kellyman, whose character actually accomplishes something major of note, she's only really introduced in the film with about 20 minutes to go. That's the major problem with this movie, is that it it really does not treat the female characters well. And I know, I know that the movie is about Han Solo, who is a male. It's about the, his relationship with the other major characters that we know and love, like um, Lando, like Chewie, and that's done real justice, but you know the the storyline with Kira for example is incredibly important to him and they just make it about her being his girlfriend kind of thing right it was just it was a bit of a shame even though I do think Kira her storyline which when we when we finally leave the movie is not complete we don't know what happens with her it's a really cool idea that they, I'm sure they'll explore if not in a movie they'll probably explore in some more expanding universe down the line I'm really excited I'm 100% going to read it. I'm really excited to to read that kind of stuff, right? And the other major problem I mentioned kind of off the top, right? We we know it's a prequel. We see Han and Chewie and Lando rush headlong into battle. We know nothing bad happens to them, right? We know Han ends up with the Millennium Falcon. So it robs a lot of those dramatic action scenes of a lot of meaning, but luckily I think Ron Howard realized this. So he often introduces characters like Kira, L3, or Beckett into those scenes, or he just glosses over it, right? Which is nice because you know when Lando gets shot, for example, that, like, he's fine. He's in other movies, right? I kept seeing these jokes online that say, oh man, we got a Han movie, there's rumors of a Lando movie, there's rumors of a Kenobi movie, a Boba Fett movie. Maybe they can they can all come together like the Avengers, and they can call it The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> that made me, I have to admit, that made me laugh. Uh, but no, I I do think the stakes were a little low, which is which is a nice and refreshing pace for the Star Wars universe. We don't need someone that, which is honestly you, a problem with movies like Suicide Squad for example, right? I know that has nothing to do with Star Wars, but Suicide Squad should have been like Solo, right? We should have had them you know going to rob a bank or they should have been going to steal some information from the Pentagon or rescue someone or whatever and and they end up like saving the world, right? So it was interesting that Han's story is very low stakes. We know how he ends up on Tatooine. We know how he meets Jabba the Hutt. We know how he ends up with the Millennium Falcon, how he meets Lando, how he meets Chewie, how he becomes such a great pilot, all this stuff, right? We learn all these things. It's just how he does all those things. And that's why Solo A Star Wars Story is such a fun ride, right? It has colorful characters, visually interesting locales, and it's action-packed at almost every single turn. And I think it does, like I mentioned off the top, overcomes the formulaic, you know, connect tab A to piece B that most origin stories have to go through at some point. So in that sense, I think it's really successful. Doesn't seem to be doing that great at the box office, but I think it will be received very positively by the media, by fans, of course, especially. And I'll leave on this note, We know that even after the trilogy with Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Adam Driver wraps up, we know there's going to be a Star Wars movie almost every year for the foreseeable future, right? There are rumors about Boba Fett, about Kenobi, about Lando himself, and even though they are just still rumors, if the quality of those movies is anything near Rogue One or Solo, then I think Star Wars fans and moviegoers in general are going to be in for a real treat. I mean, I'm there regardless, because like I mentioned, I'm a huge fan, but if this is what we can expect, and I honestly think there's nothing really to worry about. That is it for reviews today. Thanks again to Mark Stanus from Pod Drop, and thank you, of course, for always listening. I very much appreciate your feedback on the podcast, both on Twitter, over email, and of course, in person. The next episodes will focus on a bunch of movies. Uh, Hotel Artemis and Ocean's 8 actually come out on the same day, and then the following week there's Incredibles 2, and the week after that there's Jurassic World 2. So, those four movies will probably occupy the next two episodes but as always if you want to hear about something else and just let me know via Twitter email or in person of course but for now you've been listening to the Showtime movie podcast this has been episode 23 have a great night and I want you to be my